So from being on both sides and being on multiple platforms, I just kept seeing that no platform I was on was buyer and vendor friendly. You're spending so much time emailing and trying to get in front as a vendor. And then on the buyer side, you don't think about them until it's time to make a purchase. And then by then, you may have missed the opportunity. I was seeing everything was figuring out how do you build better relationships with the people around you, whether they were friends, customers, employees. But I wasn't necessarily seeing that with businesses that you were working with, even though so much of companies' money go to outside businesses and kept hearing about from other businesses, no matter their size, no matter their ownership, the same problem kept coming over and over again. How do I build a relationship with this company? Dive into the stories behind Philly's most exciting startups, Founding Philly, a podcast about the innovators, founders, and builders who are shaping the Philly startup scene. Tiffany, thank you so much for joining the podcast. I'm very, very excited about this. You have been a star in the Philly startup ecosystem for some time now. Yes, Um, excited to be here. To kick things off, would you mind just giving a quick introduction and then we can dive into the business? Yeah, so I am Tiffany Standard, CEO and founder of Stimulus, and we are based in Philadelphia, and I'm born and raised in Philadelphia. Awesome. And what is Stimulus? So Stimulus is built from my background in being in vendor management for almost 17 years now, a really long time. So our goal is to really help companies build better relationships with their suppliers and grow their supplier ecosystem. So Stimulus is a relationship intelligence SaaS platform that combines data insights, relationship building tools, and a proprietary score to really help companies grow their ecosystem with their suppliers, but then also make better and more inclusionary purchasing decisions across their organization. And you said 17 years in vendor management. So give us a little more background to that. Where were you before this? So I started in payroll and vendor management at a really young age in my early 20s. And I started at a temp company where I was working some part-time jobs and I was running my first business part-time. And then my mom was like, hey, you should, you know, go into a temp agency. They can put you in different places and you can always just have a job, right? Always have something coming in. So the first part of it was me doing payroll at this medium-sized company. And then they said, hey, we need help with our vendors. Can you help with our vendor management? I'm like, sure. Not really knowing what that was. (laughs) But starting to learn because I was running my business, my first business part-time, doing some consulting and at a young age and still kind of learning a lot of different things and learning what vendors, you know, management was and how to work with vendors. And I said, okay, sure. So I worked there for a little while and then it was on to my next kind of temp assignment and that included me going to a larger corporation where I did payroll and vendor management, but I came in as a temp because one of the other vendor managers was going on maternity leave. And then she actually ended up staying on maternity leave. She's supposed to come back after like four months. She decided to kind of just stay all in. So then that position became open. So the employer was like, hey, if you want to apply, you can because you're already here and you're already doing a job. We like you. We think you, you know, we think you like the job. So <laughs> if you want to apply, apply. And I said, okay. And I applied and I got it. So I spent years 
working and doing vendor management and payroll for all of their vendors. So not doing payroll for the employees, but doing payroll for the vendors across the different stores that they own throughout the city of Philadelphia and mainly the East Coast as well. So then the recession hit 2008, 2009. I volunteered to get laid off and decided to really just go into my first business full time and got laid off with like, you know, close out my pension and close out my 401k. And I got laid off with stimulus check came out at that time. It probably came out years before that, but it was my first stimulus check. So that's what stimulus is named after today because my first business already had a name and then got a bonus, all these different things. So my first few years of my first business was funded from me volunteering, getting laid off, and then kind of stayed in that same area where not only was I doing kind of like marketing and front-end development for customers, but then I was also saying, hey, I learned this skill of how do you work with your vendors? How do you pay your vendors? How do you go your relationship with your vendors? So I started offering that as a service as I was continued to kind of learn that industry. And then me now being a buyer, you know, of my business, I'm learning how to work with businesses and pay these consultants and pay these vendors. So I just spent many years working across different corporations and getting intros and being out there and just, you know, being full time. So now it's been 17 years because I started in my early 20s. I'm now in my mid 30s. And it's been an interesting journey of just kind of jumping into, you know, this area and then being, you know, what they call supply chain. Because even at that time, I wasn't thinking supply chain. I was like, oh, I'm just working with businesses. But it's a part of a supply chain of how you, you know, initially work with your vendors and how you work with your suppliers until you get that business or service out to the market. So, And for those that are listening that may not be familiar with what vendor management is, could you just shed some light on what that function is in a business and what that kind of experience is? Yeah. So vendor management is, you know, keeping it simple. It's basically, you know, every business works with another business to grow their business, right? So that you're placing them under being a vendor, meaning they are providing a product or a service to you. And that can be, you know, from services to software products, right? So a vendor could be you know, you're using Slack. They're a vendor of yours because they're another business, another product of a business that you're utilizing. No different than a service. You may be getting a service from another company. They can be helping you with marketing services. They can be helping you with catering services. It really is. It's really just including everything that you need to run your business. And you're hardly ever buying something from an individual. You're always buying something from a business. Even if they're an individual running that business, they still either have, you know, an LC or Inc. or something of that nature. So it's, you know, the name of what you call the companies that you're working with because they're providing a product or service to you. And you mentioned that stimulus is named after the stimulus check. So I want to learn more about when you actually decided to start Stimulus. So you mentioned your career, the different challenges you went through. Sounds like you've always been an entrepreneur, always having that, that, that ambition in you. So when was it when you decided ultimately to make that jump and go build Stimulus full-time? Yeah, so I was running my first business, Proceeds Concepts, for years at that point, providing services. And then again, as a buyer, 
working and, you know, selling to customers, selling to businesses, and then working with my own vendors and suppliers. And then now I switch to becoming a vendor to other suppliers, right? So I'm trying to get into the supply chain, the ecosystem of, you know, medium to large companies to sell my services. So I was like, okay, this process is crap on both sides. Like I kind (laughs) of knew it was crap being a buyer at the previous large company. But then when I became a vendor and I'm trying to like sell my product and my services, I'm like, okay, this is not a creep process. So I spent my time on both sides and being on so many different platforms of, you know, big brands and big names in this industry and thinking to myself, like, this can't be, you know, efficient process. So as I was looking at my first company and thinking about even idea for stimulus, because I spent so much of my career matchmaking, I'm like, can I turn that into something? And I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about all the data that I had collected. I kept thinking about all of the large companies that would say, hey, can you introduce me to, you know, small companies, medium-sized companies that I may not know about? And then the same thing, the small, medium-sized companies kept asking me, hey, you're working, you know, with these big corporations. Can you let me know who I should be speaking to? What race relationships should I build? When is their, you know, budget about to end or when they're about to start their new budget so I know when to promote to them or sell to them? So it was just a lot of back and forth that I kept doing on both sides. And as I'm showing it to them, I'm also trying to, you know, utilize my own advice to get into the supply chain. So from being on both sides and being on multiple platforms, I just kept seeing that no platform I was on was buyer and vendor friendly. And nothing actually helped with building the relationship in a non-transactional way. Meaning before you get on what they would call like a spend management platform, a place that you would pay your vendors, you're spending so much time emailing them and trying to get in front of them as a vendor. And then on the buyer side, you may be receiving these emails, maybe seeing them at these events, but you don't think about them until it's time to make a purchase. And then by then, you may have missed the opportunity to connect with that supplier or 20 other suppliers have reached out to you since then and you forget about the one they reached out to you six months ago. It's just so much disconnect. And the relationship was still being built either in person at these events where you see people set up their little vending tables and stuff at different expos or a bunch of emailing. It, it just was it was always a terrible process. <laughs> And I was seeing the updates within how people work with their customers, how people were working with their employees. I was seeing how they was making it, you know, swipeable or, you know what I mean? Like even the updates of how people were dating, like everything was figuring out how do you build better relationships with the people around you, whether they were friends, whether they were people you were trying to date, whether they were customers or employees. But I wasn't necessarily seeing that with businesses that you were working with even though so much of companies' money go to outside businesses. Like when you think of large companies and all the products and stuff they're putting out, nine out of 10, they're not building all of that themselves. They are vending and partnering with these other companies to build a product that you get in your hands, right? So I was like, okay, I'm kind of tired of doing services. (laughs) I would like to build a product that can scale, that doesn't physically need me there all the time. And I can work with any industry. I can work across the United States globally. 
and something that can scale. So I wanted to also get myself out of just being the one to have to do everything. And, you know, I had a bunch of consultants and different team members, a part of the team, but it was just always us just on this hamster wheel trying to get stuff done. And I knew my next business needed to be something that solved the problem that I kept having and kept hearing about from other businesses, no matter their size, no matter their ownership. It's just the same problem kept coming over and over again. So when I first thought of the idea for Stimulus, it was focused on matchmaking. It was like, okay, we're going to put together this this database of contracts and companies. So this is what a large company looking to buy right now. And then on the, on the smaller side, this is a bunch of companies that you could be working with. So it became like this kind of database of like searching and finding stuff. And then I realized that until that company had a relationship with the other company, I could put as many contracts in front of you, as many businesses in front of you. But everyone kept asking me, how do I build a relationship with this large company? How do I find a smaller, diverse company? And so I knew I had to start from the inside out versus the outside in. So then I'm like, okay, how about we expand and create a platform that not only helps with better sourcing, but also better relationship management, but highlighting relationship and actually helping build a relationship and not necessarily a transactional way. But how many times have I met with you? How many times you've met with my team? How many times have you reached out to me? Like really understanding that relationship the way you would any other part of your business. That's incredible. I like the the change in position of inside out to outside in. So you had this idea of stimulus. You had this one approach, kind of switched your mindset or or approach for that. And then it comes time to your first proof of concept. And everyone that I speak to that listens to the podcast are always like, well, how did they actually turn their idea into something? Like, what was that first step? So I'm curious, right? When you're thinking about bringing these vendors in and these contracts, it's a lot of different data, reaching out, understanding what these companies need, consolidating that, and then putting it into an experience that they can actually use it. So how'd you actually get this going from idea to concept? It was a lot. So it was a lot of, you know, figuring out who we needed to be a part of the team, me bringing in some people around me that had said similarly having that same issue. Because as a consultant with my previous business, having a lot of corporate relationships and small business relationships, I was able to reach out to them for advice, a lot of advice of like, okay, I know somewhat of what you're using because I've used it in my past positions, but tell me about, in addition to that, what are you using? What is your process? What is your workflow? So a lot of conversations and reminders for me because it had been some years since I had been in a corporation using those same products and the way they were using it. And then as a smaller company, I'm using similar products, but built for smaller teams versus larger teams. So the first iteration, again, was that matchmaking and and trying to put as much data on the platform as possible. But the good thing about my industry, when you're in an industry where you're trying to get to both sides, the good thing about my industry, every business is a buyer and a seller, right? So it didn't matter what business I put on the platform first, because if you're a business, you're buying something or you're selling something, whether it's a service or a product. So thankfully, we didn't have that quote unquote chicken and egg problem. 
it was just deciding on who to charge first. So our first kind of few customers and kind of pilots before we end up pivoting and not even pivoting, I would say expanding was some corporations that we had worked with previously that I had worked with previously as a consultant that we did some kind of small projects with. And that was between late 2017, 2018, and then expanded slash pivoted in 2019 after going to a couple of different conferences focused on SaaS and focused on, which was Saster in, in California, I had won some tickets to go and I was like, okay, maybe I'll go. And I was listening to like their podcasts and reading their different blogs. And I was like, hmm, maybe I should go and check it out. And that just completely expanded my, my thoughts and my, you know, understanding of where I could take the product. And then again, of me thinking I need to be on the inside out versus the outside in because the outside in is me doing matchmaking of you telling me what contracts you have coming up and me telling you what companies to work with. But if your process internally is still outdated and the platforms that you're using is still outdated, it doesn't matter who I introduce you to. You're still going to take forever to get back to them. You're still going to not build a relationship with them correctly. So then I'm like, okay, let me look at the products that they're using. And then we started to kind of pivot and we still had the quote unquote, you know, database and marketplace that we had built in the beginning, but now we put it into a platform to say, in addition to this, that can help you source, how do we also help you do the matchmaking, but do it all in one place? So our goal is to help you look at all the relationships that you have within your supply chain already. People that reached out to you, people that you've never worked with, all these things they're in your database that you could be buying from, but that you're not. But then also, because as our system grows, our ecosystem grows, there are suppliers that should be, could be in your ecosystem. How do we introduce you to those folks, right? Because normally you look at your database of companies and then when you can't find what you're looking for, you Google or you go to Bing or you ask a reference or, you know, ask a colleague. So I'm like, how do we do those two things at one time? And then once you source, the thing that drops between sourcing to who's buying this is you may not be buying this right now. You may be buying this six, 12 months from now, but then that small business wants to reach out to you now because they need money now, not 12 months from now. So that disconnect between saying, hey, when are you buying this? When are you planning on buying this was also something that was missing. So then we added that portion on of let's help you also through the planning stages where the buyer says, hey, yes, I'm out to plan this the next six to 12 months, but I'm going to put you on our considerate list so I don't forget about you. And then that business knows that they're leased on a considerate list for something that's going to happen six to 12 months so they can maintain and continue that relationship knowing when this company is about to make this purchase. So then that's how our, our product kind of expanded from there, not only from my experience, but just asking a lot of businesses on both sides of where does the communication drop and it normally drops between sourcing to when am I about to make this purchase or even start the process of making this purchase. I want to hit on the ecosystem part that you mentioned. So I know you said because they can buy and sell, there's not really that chicken or the egg component there, which I think a lot of 
marketplaces that supply and demand face, which is the challenging part. Right. But when you're building out an ecosystem, right, and there still are buyer and sellers and there's different sides of that. So obviously onboarding all those different customers onto the platform was at, at least a right. hurdle in the beginning. So I'm curious, in the beginning of this, to get people onto the platform, what was that experience like? I'm sure now there's plenty of vendors compared to what it was in the beginning, but those initial vendors to get onto the platform and explain the benefit and the value and why they should be using it versus the experience that they had. So we sell to buyers, but vendors are benefiting from us starting with buyers. For example, vendors are free currently on the platform if you come on as a vendor. And, but you also have the ability to become a buyer on the platform. Again, every buyer, every business is a buyer and a vendor, right? But wanting to keep the vendors free because the goal is, you know, if you're a vendor, you're especially, you know, small and, and medium, the goal is to be able to be discovered in an easy way without having to pay for everything already as a small business. So the way we get vendors on the platform is every time we work with a buyer, we obtain all of the businesses within their ecosystem. So it can be in, you know, a spend management platform. It can be in, in a CRM. And that allows for us to quickly grow from there because we can work with multiple teams within the enterprise. We can work with the whole enterprise. Every team that interacts with suppliers has their own quote unquote list and place that they have their suppliers. And that can be from 5,000 to 100,000 suppliers at from any given team. So we're able to grow our ecosystem very quickly from there. And then the benefit for the vendors is, yes, you came on the platform through X, Y, and Z corporation, but now you have ability to be discovered by ABCD corporation because you're now in the ecosystem of Stumbler. Right. So if we're just typing in, hey, we're looking for an IT company one mile away in Philadelphia, even though X, Y, and Z corporation put that supplier on there, ABC can find them and discover them and they would just be labeled as someone that's external to them that they've never worked with, but have the ability to work with within the system. So it's a way for that vendor to be marketed without having to pay to market. And it goes back into us creating something that is vendor and buyer friendly, where right now you're getting your place in a bunch of portals that only that company can find you, only that company can quote unquote work with you. And then you're doing that the same across all these different corporations or government or whoever you're selling to. And it's just like bad sales and marketing process of just trying to know and discover what someone's looking for, what you're offering. And then these co corporations are asking you, hey, do you have experience with a similar company? And this is our way of saying, hey, we do. And is the stimulus focused on a specific industry or customer segment? So we are industry agnostic, but we have focused on a few industries since launching. So we're just not going after everything, even though as we market people that we're not marketing to reaches out. So we've really focused on professional services, healthcare, education, and media and entertainment. And then because of our investors, some are in fintech, some are in insurance. We've gotten ad hoc reach outs from folks in that industry. So we're starting. So if we get at least two to three 
customers within that industry, then we start to kind of roll out slow marketing towards that industry. So we can at least have, have case studies that we can say, hey, we've done work and this is the project we've done in education or this is you know, a contract that we've done in healthcare. So we can at least get that and have some learnings that we can duplicate across industries because every business has a supply chain. Every business has vendors. So it's great for us to be able to grow from there. And then we sell to medium and large companies because smart, smaller companies and startups are not necessarily ready to create a purchasing process and they don't necessarily have data or collect a lot of data on the companies that they're purchasing from. We would love them to, but they're, you know, I just think about when I started my business, I'm trying to get the free package of everything or 90-day trials of things. So that's kind of what smaller businesses do in the beginning. But the goal is for them to come into the platform as a supplier. And then once they kind of graduate into that that medium size, when you're now like looking at everything you purchase and how you purchase and you're creating a process, have the ability to switch to a buyer on our platform. And we've mentioned ecosystem a few times now. And I think nowadays you hear a lot of buzzwords around product-led growth, sales-led growth, partner-led growth, ecosystem-led growth. So are you positioning stimulus in that sense of a ecosystem-led growth product? I mean, that's what it sounds like, right? We are. It's ecosystem-led growth. It's network effects. It's also looking at, you know, community-led growth, right? Because we're also creating that community. And we realize also as we have these different conversations where it's so much disconnect between the knowledge that happens within these companies' supply chain and how they purchase and when they purchase and what are they purchasing. And there's a lot of, you know, procurement and sourcing leaders that have their own groups. And then there's a lot of businesses that have their own groups as a small business, but nobody ever kind of brings those two together. And we're like organically bringing those two together. So we have like our one business model, but we have the ability to expand from there with the data that we collect, the information that we have, even thinking of the bigger picture of seeing where, you know, as we help companies spend better, but of course, myself being a diverse business, making sure that they're leading in their goals of diversity and inclusion and supply diversity, all those things. And me understanding, hey, there may not be enough women in this type of industry. There may not be enough people of color in this type of industry. So now that we have that information and that data, what can we do with that? How do we help a company, you know, expand their product or services or pivot their product and services to meet the need of what we're seeing that, hey, if you did that, there's 20 or 30 customers that will be waiting for you. Because not only do they need this product, but they want this product from a woman and they haven't been able to find it. I want to talk more about that impact that you're making, because if you follow Tiffany on LinkedIn, you see that you're on Business Insider, you're partnering with Microsoft, there's all these awards you're getting. So talk more about that impact that you're making and then obviously the recognition you're getting for that and especially the impact in Philly. Yeah, so yeah, so let's. A lot of recognition over the years, which is always great. But as uh, as a CEO, you're just always thinking more than you need to do. And you're like, thanks for the recognition, but I'm nowhere near what I'm <laughs> <laughs> But it's also nice because it's something that I can share with my team 
It's something I can share with potential team members that want to come on, be like, okay, we out here, we working. So if you want to check the team. Uh, it's also things that I can share with, you know, potential investors. And I do know, you know, large companies do look at stuff like that, right? I remember like maybe two years ago, I remember pitching to a company and they said, hey, I looked you up and I couldn't find anything. And I knew that changed the direction of our conversation and that changed the direction of that pitch because they're like, they're like, if I don't know you and I can't find anything about you, why would I buy from you? Right. And they found some stuff about me, but not necessarily the company. So from there, I was like, okay, we have to be out here. We, you know, people personally buy the way they professionally buy and vice versa. Right. If you're seeing the same sneaker company over and over again, you're going to want to try that sneaker company out. So I understand and recognize the importance of visibility, especially in this industry when they kind of buy and utilize a lot of the same things. They need to know why they need to switch to you or add you to their to their ecosystem of products that they're using. So on the impact side, as I mentioned, our goal is to help companies make better purchasing decisions, but also diverse, inclusionary, equitable you know, decisions and not choosing a company necessary because that company is a woman or not necessary because that company is a person of color, but you're choosing that company because they fit the criteria you say you were looking for and they happen to be black or they happen to be a woman or happen to be immigrant or whatever it may be. And we're trying to change the way people think about diverse companies and providing them with the data to do so. Meaning, you know, some of the folks that we've worked with, they're like, oh, there's you know, one woman-owned IT company and we found them 10, right? It's this these assumptions and these habits that we start to build over time, good or bad, <laughs> biased or not. Let's say what you want to say. I got to go back and forth saying that. <laughs> that you just start to build over time. And our goal is to let the data speak for itself that, hey, you may be correct. We're here to data to say yes or, or no. And now that you have the data that proved your thinking wrong, what are you going to do about it? Right. So now you found that 10, you know, list, a list of 10 of women owned IT companies. Are you actually going to work with them now? And if your assumptions were incorrect. So, or anyone on your team where they work with them now. So our impact is putting folks in front of you, companies in front of you with the information to make a, a better decision. And from there, the companies that would not have gotten discovered and put on a list are now on a, a list to be considered to hopefully be worked with in the future. Now we can't make you buy from them. We can, you know, determine how you spend your money, but we can give you the data to say, hey, there are companies you could be working with. But then also what I said earlier, sometimes, especially in certain industries, there's not women or people of color, diverse companies underrepresented founders in that industry or enough of them. It may be one, it may be two. So then how do we use that information to say, hey, it's all these people are coming out of these accelerators and these schools and getting in their MBAs. And some people migrate to the industries that everybody's in, right? And it becomes crazy crowded. But the industry that you're not thinking of, you could start tomorrow and maybe have 30 customers and be at 10 million in revenue in the next two years if you chose that way versus what you've seen in, in the news. Like what's 
the sexy industry to be in today, right? Is it AIs, metaverse? It's a little bit of everything. And it's fine. But how many companies are buying metaverse versus buying chairs for their office? They're buying chairs every year. They ain't buying metaverse every year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's making sure that you understand that information. And once we have that data, it's helping companies, like I said, either expand their product and services or pivot their product and services or start a whole new business in order to fit that need that we now have through the data that we're collecting. That, that data analytics component is really interesting, I think. Because once you actually can gather all that intelligence, there's so much more that, that you can do with it, which is really interesting. And I think it's incredible work that you're doing. I think the diversity angle and just opportunity that you can present to small, medium businesses that are growing is, is really right. interesting. And I, I think when we think about Philly, especially as grown this business, how has building in Philly been? I see our ecosystem in Philly growing. Over the years, I mean, I would travel. I used to travel, you know, to other cities to get the tech fix I needed, right? But I think I'm seeing more here than I have before. We do have investors here. And when I first started, you know, fundraising, I'm like, kept hearing, oh, you need to go elsewhere to get your investors. And then you may get a few here. And our first few here kicked off us getting money elsewhere. So it actually was the opposite for me, which I was surprised about and pleasantly surprised that I was able to get at least a few good investors locally. And now we have investors across different cities, which is great. So I'm starting to see the growth of the ecosystem. I mean, over the last few years have been weird across every city. So we still got to kind of get our our government together and we got to get our, you know, kind of local community support together. But I think that's almost every city at this point, you know, around COVID and post-COVID. But I'm thankful to be a part of, you know, different organizations and nonprofits like PSL and Philly Startup Leaders, PACT, which I'm on the board of PACT and I was previously on the board of PSL, to having amazing investors like Juno Capital and, and, and others, you know, around you know, the cities that are really supporting us and, and, you know, introducing us to not only potential customers, but also investors elsewhere. So Philly is interesting and I travel a lot at this point. So I haven't, you know, left the city yet and, you know, I plan to expand and be everywhere, you know, even living wise, but Philly's home. And I think I still always see the city as a place to, you know, play, live and grow. You're still working on a place that we haven't had a lot of the clothes lately. But, but the cost of living and being a walkable city and, you know, our city of neighborhoods is definitely something that's always kept me here, at least as a home base, as I, you know, look to expand elsewhere. And when you are kind of at this point in the journey, looking back at some of the challenges that you had along the way, that's something else that people are always asking about when I'm talking to them about the podcast, they're like, well, what were some of those challenges? We'll get to lessons learned and it kind of overlaps a little bit. But when you look back at those, some of those challenges you had to to face, what were those? I mean, everything's a challenge at this point. I mean, I think some of the challenges are a long list. So the first challenge was, as I mentioned, until I pivoted or expanded Getting investment was not happening. You know, I would pitch. I'm like, you know, I'm doing this. I'm doing that. It's like, oh, this seems nice. (laughs) 
So until I kind of expanded and had a different direction or the company is when I first got my first few investors that like we expanded slash pivoted in the spring of 2019. And I went to Saster maybe that February or March of 2019. And by the summer, we had close three investors. And we didn't necessarily have even a product towards the new idea, but we had the MVP of the first idea. And I said, it's going to be similar, but it's just going to be expanded on. So that was like the first kind of issue, but it was more of them probably investing in me than the product itself, because depending on who you speak to, most people can't, you know, talk to you about procurement or supply chain, all these things. It just sounds like a bunch of noise. And then pitching to, you know, other investors, especially outside of Philly, was, oh, I'm not passionate about supply chain. Who cares about supply chain? All these things. And I said, okay, you don't care about it, but I promise you every one of your portfolio companies are pitching to somebody's supply chain if they are pitching to medium to large enterprises. So you don't care, but it's going to affect, it will always affect them. Like I, I'm sure every conversation that you have with your portfolio companies is them complaining about how long procurement is taking. That's supply chain. So having to convince investors of the industry and then COVID hit, everybody and their mama knew what supply chain was. <laughs> then, you know, it was, oh, I didn't get my Peloton. I didn't get my toilet paper. I didn't get my, you know, whatever it was, they knew what supply chain was. And everybody that was in supply chain, everybody that building in that industry was like, mm-hmm, all right. <laughs> now you care. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> and they now understood, like, like supply chain itself is such a broad term. And most people, when you say supply chain, are thinking, you know, you're, you're waiting on from Amazon, logistics. And they lump everything into logistics, right? But it's basically it's made up of the network of organizations, activities that you need to get your product or service to your consumer or business, whatever it may be. So that started to be a thing where from news to investors made it a thesis or they just started to care about the space. So the first challenge was getting people to care about the space and then finally starting to get investors at that time because of the conversation. And then expanding on the product, like I said, we went through I said it, you know, not so lot like, oh, we went to two or three, you know, external tech teams. That is never fun. <laughs> like, we went through those different external development teams because the first two couldn't do what we needed them to do. So we had to, you know, switch out. So that's never a fun experience because the, everybody, you know, develops differently. So sometimes it feels like you're recreating the product every time you switch a development team. Because the way they did it, they don't want to do it or they think they need to clean up what they did. And then it turns into a really annoying, terrible process where you may have some downtime two, three, four months as they're learning what the previous team did and then try right. to do their own thing. Definitely. Very annoying. And then as you're trying to bring in your own engineers, you're trying to make sure that they can work with your external team. That's a process. And then 
as we're selling to these medium to large companies and we knew the shift that was happening, not knowing a COVID situation was going to happen, that people started to care about their suppliers, understand they don't have enough data information on their suppliers, understanding they need to purchase better, understanding they need to be diverse and, and spend and support Black companies even before the death of George Floyd. All of those different things were happening, and but all happened at one time. And, and then disruption and all of that happened at one time. So it was like a good thing of like, yes, this is the industry that, we, that we're in that we need to be ready for and be excited about. But then it was hard because we had just quote unquote launched. So we wasn't able to take advantage of everything that was happening at the time because we just had switched sex teams again. So it was like some missed opportunities over the last couple of years where we took a good amount advantage of some things, but not enough because we just didn't have resources to expand on it. And at that time, investors were just getting excited about investing in supply chain, but then they were only investing in, you know, the companies that had been around and, you know, for years. And then I'm like, okay, but you still need the new companies to support. It was a weird time over the last few years. So Hiring was also an issue. It was a mixture between the great resignation to the great layoffs over the last two years. Uh, so a little bit of everything. So a lot of things all at one time. And then you're scared from your health. Like it's been a lot. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely has been a lot in the past yeah. few years. Um, especially, I mean, but when you launch too, it just seems like a right. lot of different real world events happen yes. that impacted a lot of different <laughs> things across the business and just like society. Right. And you mentioned investors a few times. I know Juno Capital is one of your investors. That's who introduced us. When you were fundraising initially, were you focused in on Philly? Are you, do you have investors across other states? How did you approach investors? Because I think something that we hear a lot is that fundraising is hard in Philly. And I think that the consistent message across. But then you also have another side of it that's like, because of COVID and everything, it kind of opened the doors to not only having investors where you're building. And then it's okay to have investors in other states. So what was that experience like for you? A lot. (laughs) So yeah, our first few investors were in Philly. They had just launched their fund. So we were probably one of least between the first five companies they invested in, give or take. So the process was, because of COVID, it was a good and bad thing, right? As you mentioned, where a lot of people would only invest if you met them in person. If you flew out to California to meet them, you you know went to New York to meet them. And for a founder that already does not have any money, that's very expensive. So I was doing that the first, you know, before we pivoted and expanded in 2019 and trying to make sure I saved money, like, so I can eat at the lunch, <laughs> just in case they didn't pay at the end <laughs> or play for the ticket or hotel or whatever it may be. And so when we got our first few investors in Philly, it was just me having the confidence to be like, okay, I'm just going to ask you. And I built up at least a good enough brand to for you to know who I am in Philly, at least, right, at that time from my previous businesses and talking and just posting and, and being out here. 
for as long as I've been out here. So that was able for me to close our first two. And then that one helped us close others. And then I am already had done some stuff with Juno through Philly Tech Week over the previous year, like speaking engagement. So they knew a little bit of me, vice versa. And a friend of mine had already had received investment from them even prior to them starting the fund, but they were like doing angel investing before they decided on a title. And so then I got introduced to them and then all this stuff with COVID and they were trying to understand their vendors. So it became a good synergy. And then me getting investors outside of Philly was me literally at that time with so many things were happening at one time. I applied to everything. I was like, look, I'm not going to, I don't know if I'm ready for this program. I don't know if I'm ready for this accelerator. I'm going to reach out to everybody. And I just started reaching out to everybody. And I got into like a Google accelerator. I ended up getting in a Microsoft accelerator. And then I got into Morgan Stanley accelerator. And even at the time, I was like, I don't even know I'm going to get into this, but I did. And I was like, okay. And especially the, the Morgan Stanley accelerator, it was so hard to get into the accelerator. I was like, if I can get into this, I can get into anything. <laughs> so, and then your confidence go up every time you get a yes and you get so many no's, but every time you get a yes, your confidence goes up and you don't even care. If somebody tells you no, you're like, look, Morgan Stanley said yes. A multi-billion dollar company told me yes. Google told me yes. I don't care about you. So your confidence goes up. So you start reaching out to more people. So I started reaching out. Some I will wait for intros and then some I would just reach out and be like, hey, this is what I'm doing and this is what I've closed and this is what we're raising. And then again, your confidence goes up and and every time you get a yes, the confidence goes up. And that's how I started to get investors outside of Philly. It was a mixture between asking for intros through my investors, some through founder friends applying and just going on people's websites and filling out their little thing and hoping that they got back to me or connecting with them on LinkedIn and they didn't get back to me if I filled out their little thing of, hey, we we invest. And then 21, early 22 is when, you know, we started going back out in the world and meeting people. So then I'm like, okay, I'm okay to like fly and go here, but I'm not just flying for this. Like before you just fly and meet a bunch of investors. I'm like, if I'm not going to a conference or have 20 other meetings in that week, I'm not just coming here to meet you. And now that's continued where some of my investors either I just have met over the last two years or haven't met yet in person. Like there's a few I have not met in person at this point, which would have never have happened where they just meet you online, Zoom conversation, you wire the money. Right. So I'm so thankful that that has continued. Even I'm, I'm thankful, even the way accelerators now do it, where part of a reason I didn't want to apply to accelerators, I didn't want to fly to a city for four months. Like, right. I think that only works if you like 18. But if you grow and you got family and people to take care of, I can't just leave for four months. So yeah. I even love the fact that accelerators made it hybrid. Like, yeah, I can be out here for a week, but I don't want to be out here for four months. So I love how that has expanded over the years as well, where, yes, you'll give me the money. I can, you know, meet you here, be here for a week, but then the rest of it can be virtual. So that has definitely been the pro of the last few years. I know we're coming up on the hour, but Tiffany, when you look at what's next for Stimulus, looks like you have great momentum, you have a great product, you've had success to date. When you look ahead, what is next for Stimulus? Oh, so many things. 
One, we are focused on creating really big partnerships. And we're thinking of partnerships in reference to not only growing stimulus, but achieving our goals of really helping companies build better relationships with their suppliers, as well as diversifying their supply chain. And there's so many new businesses that are being created every single day from women, people of color, all these things. But if they're not getting the contracts and the support to grow them, they're going to fail as quickly as they were created. So our goal is to really make sure that we are creating and growing a company that really helps people optimize and grow their supplier ecosystem, but at the same time, making sure that we are growing these businesses that are within the ecosystem, right? And our goal is to leverage and utilize our partners to to do that and help that, you know, us achieve that goal. So as we build out these great corporate partnerships that we have from Google to Salesforce to to Microsoft, looking at one of them as being, you know, a few a future acquisition for us so we can continue, but still operate as a separate company and have that as like, hey, we're now 20, 30, 40, 50% of the market where we're helping companies actually truly build relationships with their suppliers while saving time, while saving money. But you're also helping these businesses grow so they can turn into the next Microsoft, so they can turn into the next Salesforce, but they can't do that until you first become a customer of theirs. Right. Well, it seems like an incredible opportunity that you have the product you've built and the, the team and the, the, the success that, that you have is really impressive. So Tiffany, thank you. thank you so much for joining the podcast. Really enjoyed hearing your story and more about stimulus. Looking forward to what's ahead. Yes. Thank you so much.